Well, tonight we continue our series in Ephesians, so I'll invite you to turn with me to Ephesians. And we have been working our way slowly through this letter. Tonight, you'll find us if you're reading from a pew Bible on page 1173. So that's page 1173. And Nigel is going to be preaching on this in just a few moments for us. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're thinking about uh, our series in Ephesians under the title Alive in Christ, and if you happen to have missed some of that, you will be able to pick it up online, and we'd encourage you to do that. Ephesians 1, and read with me from verse 15. This is God's Word to us. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Thank you, John. What what a delight it is. Let's turn our Bibles open to Ephesians 1. And as we're doing that, let me just, to all those who've joined tonight and indeed uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, again, let me underline uh, my welcome also and just delight uh, that uh, you are coming into membership here. And, And actually, in so many ways, what we're looking at tonight feels hugely appropriate. It's almost like a little reminder of, of, of how our Christian, of what we need to to rest in, in our Christian lives as we seek to serve the Lord together, as we go forward uh, together with Him. Ephesians 1, uh, 15 to the end of that chapter, 23. I wonder what you pray for your friends, uh, and not, not your friends who are not yet Christians. I think it's maybe pretty obvious what we need to pray for our friends who are not yet Christians, that the Lord would open their eyes and speak to them and show them their need of a Savior and the availability of Christ to be their Savior. I, I'm thinking of your friends who are Christians. What do you pray for each other? If you, if you look around the church, what do you pray for, for your brothers and sisters? Maybe we don't pray for each other routinely, if we are honest. The, the only time we pray for each other is whenever we find ourselves in a crisis and there's some health issue or a work situation or a worry over a family member, and that's what causes us to pray for one another. But actually, if that's what things are like for us, then we're really quite different from the Apostle Paul because we find that 
he prays for his Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus here, not because they're having some particular crisis, or at least he doesn't name that crisis, but he prays for them in a particular way. His burden for them is altogether different than ours commonly might be. And that's what we're going to see tonight as we look at these verses from Ephesians. Paul has spent the first part of this chapter rejoicing in what God has done for us, rejoicing in what God has done for his friends in Ephesus. He has saved them. He's brought them to himself through the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit, given them a fantastic future hope. And all this is from God and not from them. And now he prays for them. And perhaps it goes without saying that we need to, really need to pay attention to what he prays for them because uh, on the one hand, of course, he is the Apostle Paul. He really understands uh, the human heart and the way of God with, with his people and what we need. And also because of this is, is inspired Holy Scripture. And, and in seeing what Paul prays for his friends, we also see what God says are some of our deepest needs as his followers. Now, this might be surprising to us, but what Paul prays for these people is not that they would have something new. That's just a really important little marker to lay down at the beginning tonight. He does not pray that they would have something new. Rather, he prays that they would appreciate the amazing blessings that they already have. In other words, the, the, the burden of his prayer here is for a deeper experience of what they have already received. Let me try to illustrate that in a couple of ways. I remember I had a friend once who bought a, a motorcycle sat-nav. Some of you don't even know that such a thing exists. And, and, and uh, he, he, he was struggling with it. He says, look, I, I bought this thing, and you've got one of those. And, and I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, I just can't work it. I, I've been using it for very simple things, but I think there's more to it. He brought it around, and, and we, we explored how maps could be shown in different ways and how you could have music that would stream into his helmet and, and, and how he could use it to control a camera if he wished to, and, and how he could use it to record all the places that he'd been, and even the speeds that he was doing. We turned that off. And, and, and then, and then uh, when, when he would run out of fuel, and, and, and where the petrol stations was, and even where the reviews for the donut shops were. And he came in, you see, thinking that this Santa was just to help him find the ways from A to B. But, but he left realizing that it would do so much more than he had ever imagined. He didn't need something new. He just needed to appreciate what he already had. I, I try a different illustration. Imagine you, you enter one of those auctions to buy a house on scene in London. You, you're, you're moving to London. You're going to be a student there, and you really have, have very few resources, but you, you enter this this auction, and, and amazing, you, your, your bid is received, and you go and you receive the keys of your new home, and you begin to explore it. And it's a bit of a mess. The previous owners have left it in a mess, but, but as you begin to clear it out, you, you go down into the, 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 the lower levels, the basement, and you find a door. And you, you clear away this door, and you open this door, and you find that the previous owners, amazingly, have, have done what sometimes people do in London. They, they dig down below the foundations, and, and down there, you think you've bought a little two-bedroom semi, but you've actually bought this six-bedroom complex with a games room and an underground swimming pool and, and all of these things. And you see, your, your, your need is not for something new. It is to begin to experience and appreciate what actually is yours. 
And very much this is the approach that Paul is taking in his prayer. He has been saying, God has blessed us in the most amazing way, and my prayer for you is that you'll begin to appreciate, to know, as he says, this uh, uh, more and more what you have in the Lord. Now, perhaps it's worth pointing out that this is a very different message than sometimes you'll hear today about what is key as far as Christian growth is concerned. Some Christians will come along and they will say, now, it's great that you've become a Christian, but what you really, really need to get you going is something new. It's a new experience. It's a new blessing, a second blessing, perhaps. And if you have those things, then, then your Christian life will really take off. All your problems will, will diminish. Maybe you've heard something like that. It's not what Paul is saying here. It's not what the Bible says, I don't think. Paul's prayer is, is not that his friends would receive something new. It is that they would know what they have in the great salvation that God has given them. Peter says, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So, what does he pray for them? Well, his prayers revolve around three things, knowledge, a hope, and power. Knowledge, hope, and power. In fact, he's really praying that they would know all of these things. Knowledge, hope, and power. Look at verse uh, 17. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, capital S, Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The NIV says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, His, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better, that you may know Him better. I want you, Paul prays, to know Him better. When did you last pray for one another? When did you last pray for your Christian friends, for yourself even, that you would know the Lord better? What does it mean? Well, it, it means more than knowing about God, more than knowing more things about God. I, I know a fair number of things now about King Charles. I, I watched the coronation yesterday, and there were all those little nuggets of information uh, thrown in in the, in the commentary, so I, I know lots about him. But in another sense, I don't really know him at all. I don't know him personally. Now, if I was getting to know him personally, a lot of those facts would be helpful. So, so it's not that knowledge about God is unhelpful. It's hugely helpful. It, it, it forms a, a really important basis for our relationship, but in and of itself, it doesn't grow the relationship. And it is a relationship that is in mind here. It's an experience of God that's being described. <clears throat> it's often pointed out that sometimes the idea of knowledge in the Bible, especially the Hebrew idea of knowledge, carries a tremendous intimacy with it. So in Genesis, it is used to refer to the sexual relationship between Adam and Eve, the, the husband and wife relationship. Adam, it says, knew his wife Eve and she conceived. So it's got, it carries all of this idea of, of intimate experience. It's much, much more than just knowledge about. The, the marriage relationship actually is a great picture of this. You know, the, the, the blushing groom stands up at his speech that he's been preparing for for, for weeks and weeks. And he, he may say, on behalf of my wife and I, and blah, 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 blah. And, and, uh, and, and if he has an idea of, of what's really going on, he, he may turn to his bride and say, 
you know, darling, I, 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 I feel I know you so well, but I am looking forward to spending the rest of my life getting to know you better. And again, he's not expecting something new. He's expecting to know more of the one to whom he has been joined. That's what Paul is praying for his friends, for us, if he were to be praying for us. Know more of the one to whom you have been joined. When I think of this, I, 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 I think of, of Moses. Isn't it true that we, we so easily settle for a functionally manageable knowledge of God in our lives. And I think of Moses. He led the people of Israel through the wilderness. They have sinned with the golden calf, and, and Moses has interceded for them. And he has communed with God. And in many ways, God speaks to him personally. In Exodus 33, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Imagine the, 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 the intimacy of that moment. And yet, after that, after that, in that same chapter, he asks to see God's glory. Has he already had amazing experiences of God? Oh, yes, he has. Does he want more? Oh, yes, he does. Is there a desire in your heart as you stand here and you promise yourself to the Lord and to his church, as we look on and we say, yes, Lord, this is me too. Is there a desire in your heart to know God better? There ought to be, brother and sister, because this is what God has for us. And it is, of course, for our blessing. Paul knows that he prays for this for the Ephesians because it's the very best thing that they can have. It's for their absolute good. Listen to Spurgeon talking about knowing God better. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is quiet for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go and plunge yourself in Godhead's, in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity, and you shall come forth as from a bed of rest, refreshed and invigorated. There is more to know of the God whom you know. Don't settle for a passing acquaintance with the God whom to know is life eternal. Knowledge. Hope. Hope is the second thing. Uh, having, look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So, here there's a future reference, isn't there? It's, it's about our hope and our inheritance. Now, we often point out, and I hope, I hope we know this, we often point out that the biblical idea of hope is not the same as the way that we commonly use the word hope today. Today, we, we hope about things that are quite uncertain. We sort of cross our fingers and hope, as it were. But biblical hope is much more something that we know that we're going to get, but we just haven't received it yet. So if you are a 15-year-old and your, your rich American uncle puts a million dollars into a trust fund for you, and, and you, you know that you're going to get it when you're 18, well, you can, you can lie every night and flick through your bank balance 
and you can say, I know I have this. I hope I have it. I know I'm going to get it. I just haven't received it yet. Or, 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 or maybe you, a bit more realistic, maybe you order something from Amazon, and you get that email that says, Gareth, your delivery driver, is 12 stops from you, and you can follow him on the map. He's in Dollingstown, and then he goes to, for some reason, he goes to Bambridge, and, 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 uh, and you, you know that you're going to get it, but you just haven't received it yet. So that, that's biblical hope. You know that you're going to get it. You just haven't got it yet. And you see, we've got to know that, that what God has for us is sure and certain, but so much of what He has for us, we have not got yet, and we will not get yet in this life. What God has for us, so much of it, is future. Belinda Carlisle, 64 years old. That dates us, doesn't it? She sang, Heaven is a Place on Earth. She's a really good singer. She's a rubbish theologian. <laughs> God lays up treasures for us in heaven, while at the same time telling us that in this world we will have trouble. And if we get those two things mixed up, then our troubles are magnified. We need to know what is coming, our inheritance, in order to be able to handle our trouble day by day. And when we get there, it will be worthwhile. We will have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, where it is very far better. There are actually two ways to translate this. It may well be that God, that this is saying that God will give us an inheritance as He promises elsewhere, but it may actually be saying that we will be His inheritance. Isn't that incredible? His love for us is so great. His intention to save you is so strong. His anticipation to have you with Him in glory is so deep that He calls you His inheritance. Richard Cokin says this, God Almighty, who could have provided anything He wanted for His enjoyment in eternity, has chosen to enjoy forever with saved and sanctified sinners like us. Hope. Paul prays, and he says, I want you to know the God to whom you have been joined, and I want you to know what He has for you with Him in the future. But that's not all. Just in a word or two, power. Look at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? So, God has promised a future, but one of the questions that we often have is, how do we know that we're going to get there? Following Jesus can be challenging, can't it, to say the least? And Paul says, well, I, I'm praying for you that you will know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards you. So, this is the power of God that is at work to keep us and to see us through to the end that He has in mind for us. Perhaps even in mind here is the very fact that we will be raised uh, together with Christ, that we'll have new resurrection bodies. Now, maybe you face some pretty difficult things in your Christian life, maybe opposition from those who are close to you, maybe a challenging working environment that you're going into this week, some past issue perhaps that the devil uses to, to get in on you, the, eternal, the internal battles that we have day by day, all sorts of things that could derail you. 
And some of what's in our heads will be saying, now, is the power that Paul is talking about here sufficient? Will this power keep me in the difficulties that I face? Do I have sufficient resources from him to draw on? Well, Paul quantifies the power just so that we know. Verse 20, there's power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So the power that Paul is talking about that is at work in us is the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. Isn't that amazing? That's the power that God brings to take us through to the end. Now, remember that Ephesians, Ephesus, was, was a place that was given over to occult practices. We saw that in Acts 19. Remember, the demonized slave girl was converted. And, and, and <clears throat> Christians, many of them, would have come from that background. And, and the evidences of the occult, of, of hostile, evil powers were all around them. Neighbors would have whispered, uh, charms and incantations, some of them directed against the Christian church. And Christians needed to know that Christ was able to keep them in that very place, in that center of evil. And so Paul says, look, the, the power that is at work in you is the very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And, and not only that, he says, remember who this Jesus is. He's seated at the very right hand of God. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. You think there are powers in Ephesus? Jesus is far above those and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Above every name, you see, he is over the evil powers that, that stalk the streets of Ephesus, and everything is under his feet. Those evil powers and the things that oppress you, and all those who oppose you, all under his feet. And all of this is done with Jesus for the church, God's people, the very center of his attention, for we, his people. So when you are fearful, know that you have been joined to God Himself. Now, you must know better the God to whom you have been joined. And you must know, too, that He has a, a bright future for you, and you will certainly see it, for His mighty power is at work in you and even in your circumstances. And Paul prays that you will know this, not for something new, but realize what you already have. Now, how would your life be different? Think about this. How would your life be different if you knew this, if you felt this moment by moment, every day? You'd be sure, wouldn't you, and confident? And Paul prays this for you. The Scriptures say to you, this is for you. Now, I'm, I'm going to finish with a story that I heard early on in the week, and it really helped me. I hope you'll remember it. It's a story from, from a bygone age. Many years ago, a man got lost in, in uh, the, the Canadian woods near the St. Lawrence River in eastern Canada. It was winter, incredibly cold, 
and he knew he had to get home or at least get to shelter or he would freeze to death in that Canadian winter. And eventually he came to the riverbank of the St. Lawrence River, which as you know is, is a huge river. And he realized that he was near his home, but he was on the wrong bank. He was on the other side. And he was many miles from a crossing point, but the river was frozen. And he, and he knew it was his only hope was to, was to make it across that frozen river, but he did not know how thick the ice was. And so very, very tentatively, with great fear, he, he stepped out onto the ice. In fact, he crawled onto the ice. He thought, as he would be right to think, if I spread my weight across this ice, there's much less chance of it breaking and me going through it. And the, the, the river is, is, is very, very wide. And so there he is in, in the, the chill of the night, inching his way across this river on his hands and knees, trying not to move too suddenly or, or to, to stress the ice in any way and thinking at any moment, this could give way and I'm going to fall to my doom. And then he hears a sound. And to his astonishment, he looks around and there's a horse. In fact, there's a series of horses tied to a great wooden sleigh, a, 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 a wagon, loaded high with, with goods and produce. And there there is this, this man driving this horse team and this heavy sleigh across the St. Lawrence River because he knows that the ice is many feet thick and it will easily support his weight. Isn't it true that many of us are tentatively picking our way through our Christian lives, just waiting for the whole edifice to give way, thinking at every step, will I make it? Does God know? Is He able? When the truth is, the ground onto which you have been brought is limitlessly thick, limitlessly solid. And we may run and jump without fear. And so Paul prays for his friends, you see, as he would for us and as we should for each other. Get to know this ground on which we stand. Get to know this God to whom you've been joined. And see what he has in store for you. Know that you're passing through to a greater glory, to a, a great inheritance. And see how he is at work in you now with his mighty power. Christian, you're on solid ground. Let's pray together.